because it did not know him. We have three questions and three texts for us to consider for a few minutes. We're thinking today about a personal relationship with Jesus and what that means. We discussed the idea this morning that that phrase is a very common phrase in religious circles outside of our own. And we hear a lot of people in other religious circles talk about that phrase and sometimes it becomes uncomfortable to us. But we also notice that we can't have an impersonal relationship with Jesus. Not possible. That's no relationship at all. So as we talk about this idea, uh, that relationship idea comes up in the question that is often asked, what does Jesus look like? Well, let me first of all say that the vast majority of the times when you see an artist's rendering of what they say Jesus looked like, we could probably say that we all have the same characteristics in mind that we have seen. The most obvious is he has really long hair. He usually looks rather weak. Most of the ones I see have more of a portrayal of someone who didn't do much work and have much exercise and just didn't come across as the kind of a picture that I would have of a man who did what he did. I mean, think about it. They walked everywhere they went. And he was walking for hundreds and hundreds of miles in his life. You don't get that way and not be pretty healthy and pretty athletic. But even that pales. Thinking about the kind of man, what he went through even before being on the cross. Uh, the historians say that the beating, the scourging before the crucifixion was often so terrible that the person died in the scourging, but not Jesus. And so everything that he went through says to me that I would expect to see someone who is very fit, very much mature, athletic, if you will, certainly a person of the working class. We often hear that Jesus' father was a carpenter. Well, I did some study on that. The word used there for carpenter is actually an artisan. It is not specifically tied to what kind of material you're working with. He's an artisan. Someone has observed 
If you were a wood carpenter in Palestine, you may not have had much work because they didn't have a whole lot of wood over there. Now, I've not been there. Some of you who have, you can verify or not. I'm listening to the people who have. They say that's not a wooded area. But I'll tell you what they did have, a lot of rock. And so to say that Jesus lived or was what his father was, the likelihood is that his father was an artisan, but that he was actually a rock carver, making things out of stone. Now, I've seen some burly men who work with wood, but I've really seen some burly men who work with stone. And so I would suggest to you that the pictures we see of Jesus, what does he look like? Almost everyone I've ever seen, I think, miss it. Let me give you one more little interesting piece to understand the concept. There was in Old Testament times and even in the time of Jesus, a Jewish vow called a Nazarite vow. Anyone who took a Nazarite vow was to follow certain restrictions. One of them was you would not have anything from the vine during the time of your Nazarite vow. No wine, no grapes, stay away from things of the vine. But number two, men, they would never cut their hair. Now think about this. If all of the men of that time frame had long hair, then how would you know which one was having a Nazarite vow? How would you know? Therefore, I think that the proper drawing of a depiction of Jesus would be much more muscular, much more if you will, hardened not only by life and exposure to the outside because of all of his walking, but also very short hair. Now that's not the Jesus that we see in the vast majority of paintings. But the truth is we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like. I know this, he was not Caucasian I think we can all agree with that one. Jesus looked like the people of his day. But for our purposes, let's ask the question in a little different way. The first question from the passage read in 1 John 3, what will Jesus look like when we see him that final day? It seems to me that John is answering that question. These people, 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2, apparently they had been talking about this. It is not yet apparent what we will be. Not yet manifest what we will be. In other words, John is saying, we don't know. 
We don't know what our bodies are going to look like. That's the question. What's well, the same question that came up to some degree in 1 Corinthians 15? The corruptible must put on incorruption. The mortal must put on immortality. We're all going to be changed. We know that the bodies we have now are not the bodies we're going to have in eternity. So they were talking about that. John was discussing that with those brethren. What is going to be the look of our bodies in heaven? We don't know. We know it will be spiritual. We know it will be eternal. We know it will be immortal. But we don't know. But here's what John says that I think is the most encouraging and fascinating thing. He says, but we know this. When we see him, we will be as he is. Now, here's what I think John is saying. I think John is saying, in order for us to see Jesus in that state, we have to be in that state. So I don't know particularly and specifically what his genetic makeup was here, and I don't know specifically what his makeup will be in eternity. But here's what I know. He and I and all of us, we're going to look exactly alike. We're going to be of the same family. What he is is what we will be. Now, the Bible talks about that a lot. First Philippians chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we wait for the Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be made like His glorious body. I know that's going to happen. So one day, every one of us will have the same glorious body that Jesus has in that place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul said, We all with open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image. Even while we are here, we are developing, at least that's what Paul is calling us to do. We are developing an image that is like his image into that glory, beholding it. Where are we beholding it? Right here in the Word of God. The more we are in the Word, the more that we are transforming ourselves into the image of Jesus imprinted in the Word. That is something we are working on right now. But now having those thoughts in mind, rethink, maybe the first time it was for me, this beatitude. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Will we be able to see the image that presents itself to us if we don't have a pure heart that we have developed? Is he magically going to change a bad heart into a pure one so that we'll be able to see him? Well, certainly not. 
And so even now, we are changing and becoming in this body something like the body or the image or the glory that we are going to have in full when he comes again. One final verse. Listen to Jesus' last prayer in John 17 and verse 24. And now, Father, I ask you that all these that you have given me will be where I am that they may see the glory which you have given me. Jesus, in his prayer, prayed for you and me that we would be able one day to see his glory as he is. And how does that happen? While we are now changing ourselves becoming in a spiritual way the image reflected right here in Scripture so that we can indeed behold His glory as He is, for we will be like Him. That's what's coming. Let's turn to the next passage. John chapter 14. So, what does Jesus look like now? Well, specifically, we've said, we don't know. But watch what happens in this verse. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known the Father. He's making an obvious statement. If you know me, you know the Father. Why? Because they're the same. Philip didn't catch it. Philip said, Lord, Show us the Father. And Jesus specifically came back in verse 9. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How then can you say, show us the Father? When Jesus was here, he said... You see the Father. Well, now, wait a minute. The picture that we painted, the more accurate picture that an artist could render of Jesus when he was here, that's not what he's talking about. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's not talking about that, is he? He is talking about something different. He is saying there's the essence, the who I am, my real self, and my Father are one. Well, that makes sense because we come from parents and we are like them. Jesus said, I and my Father. He came from the Father, not in His coming into being, for He is eternal. He came from His Father to do the will of His Father. The, pro the production or the coming of Jesus was not related to His non-existence, to existence. It was related to changing His work. He took on a new work. And the work was to be the Messiah. 
So like his father, he came to save us because God, in sending him, wanted to save us. So Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. Why? Because we do exactly the same thing. We have exactly the same uh, mentality. We want the same things. We do the same things. We are alike. And therefore, we understand what is Jesus now. Well, John 4 and 24 makes it very clear. God is spirit. Jesus is a spirit being. We are spirit people. But it's a part of us, not right now, all of us. We have physical bodies. Jesus had a physical body. But he had a spirit, and that spirit is what he is now. Now, here's our problem. Our problem is that we, we're not just spiritual beings. And being physical beings, we have a hard time thinking spiritually. We have a hard time because we can't wrap our minds around spiritual concepts very well, like eternity. We can't wrap our minds around eternity very well. And the reason we can't wrap our minds around eternity very well is because we're physical. And, and physical has boundaries and limitations and walls in the spirit world, in, in eternity. There aren't those boundaries and limitations and walls. That's why when God identified himself to his people in the Old Testament, who did he say he was? I am. Because whether you can't talk of God in the past or in the future. You can only speak of God in the present. And so what is Jesus right now? He is God Spirit. He is just exactly what He will be when we see Him. And right now, a spiritual realm. So, we think about what will he be from 1 John 3. We think about what he is right now. But now let's think about Colossians 1 and verse 27. What does Jesus look like in me? What does he look like? What will he look like? What is he now? But what does he look like in me? Colossians 1.27 makes this simple little statement. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. It is not possible for us to 
be like someone we have no personal relationship with. I can't be. For instance, I catch myself all the time, and I'm sure you do too. And unfortunately, I'm sure my son and even my daughters at time, with me or with mom, we all get that way. Have you ever been in a situation where you go, oh my, I just did my dad's thing. Whatever that is, doesn't matter what it is. Oh me, I just did it. I just had that look. I, I moved in a certain way. I said a certain thing, and it's dad all over again. Now, if I had the genetics of my father, but I was not raised by my father, would I, just by genetics, do those kinds of mannerisms and things? No. Because it's the association that produces those kinds of things. So it is being around someone and with someone that causes you to emulate, whether you want to or not, certain things about that person. So Jesus in me looks a certain way as others are looking at me. We live in a world right now that is becoming more and more individualistic. And what that means is more and more people are Creating the idea that says, I'm going to define what is right for me. And as we saw this morning, that personal relationship is often defined by someone who very individualistically says, this is what I like, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to present it. But that has nothing to do with what the reality of a personal relationship with Jesus is. Notice this text. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that mean? I would suggest number one. It means that if I don't have Christ in me, I don't have a hope. If in this life only we have hope, we are of all men the most to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19. First of all, Christ in you. Christ in you is, is your hope of glory. Having Christ in me is my hope of glory. Without it, without Christ, I have no hope. That's the point. Now that's easy. We all get that. But I think there's more there. Notice what he said about the text earlier. He said, this is the mystery among the, among the Gentiles that he had had from the beginning. What was the message from the very beginning when he pulled his people out and made them his people special from everybody else? There was a mystery. There was a secret. There was being unfolded through the centuries. And you know what that was? That the Gentiles get to be a part of it too. The Jews were his people, but the Gentiles are also coming in. In other words, his people were his people by choice. 
The Gentiles were going to be his people by them choosing him. How are they supposed to see Jesus? How are they supposed to see God? Well, they should have seen him through the faithfulness of the Jewish people. But they did not do well with that. So then what does this phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory, also mean? It also means that Christ in me is their hope of glory. People who don't have Jesus, people who do not have him in their lives, they oftentimes are going to think of him by the way they think of us. Their hope of glory in the future lies with how well we present that hope every day in our lives. I cannot claim to be a Christian and live and do these things and expect anybody to say, that's the Jesus I want. Because it won't work. The hope of glory is not only that we get to be in heaven, but through us, they get to see Jesus and be in heaven. So when we think about a personal relationship with Jesus, let me give you two other words that certainly are included in this idea, and they're found right here in Colossians 1. The first one is that we have intrapersonal and interpersonal relationship with Jesus. Look at verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul was praying that they would have an interpersonal relationship with God. You know what interpersonal means? Back and forth. Back and forth. That's what the Bible is. It's our back and forth relationship with God in Jesus. He is communicating us with us through the Word. He is communicating right now through the Word using my mouth. He communicates through the Word using the mouths of teachers, whether from little children right on through adults. He is using the Word through the songs that we sing. And by the way, that song gets me too, every time. Chokes me up. One of the most powerful songs, at least in modern times, ever been written. But he was communicating through that song, using the person who wrote it to make a powerful impression. We have an interpersonal relationship. See what this means? How can I have a personal relationship with Jesus if he's not talking to me through the word because I'm not in it? Number two, I have an intrapersonal relationship. That's verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have a personal relationship with Jesus because he lives within us 
intrapersonal. And we have a personal relationship with Jesus because we have an interpersonal relationship. He lives within us and he communicates with us. If he is not living in someone, and we get that when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, as we said this morning in Romans 6, baptized into his death. No one who has yet to be immersed into Christ accurately can claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Can't be done because the intra part is missing. And no person who has been immersed into Christ, but who is not communicating with Him through the Word in all forms possible, no person who refuses the interpart of the personal can claim to have a personal relationship with God. So what does it mean for you and me to have a personal relationship with Jesus? One, He lives within us. Two, He speaks with us. And three, we walk with Him. Now that's how we have a personal relationship with the people of our lives, with our families. We live with them, we listen to them, and we walk with them. That is the relationship with Jesus that will keep us focusing on the goal to have the glory that will be revealed when we see Him one day. Jeremiah yesterday in the marriage time took a terrible situation and used it positively. Obviously when he was asked to come and speak, he was planning all of his material. And then four days before he came to speak, all those tornadoes hit. And he was able to take those catastrophes and from them pull some powerful lessons for families. Because he talked about the foundations that are so important. And he talked about the foundations of those homes that were still there, though the homes were gone. The foundation was there. When your life is blown away, but your foundation is in place, you can rebuild. He talked about people who realize that the real values of life are not tied to the possessions that can be gone in a second. And he talked about understanding the importance of being ready to die. And part of that is having families who teach readiness and, and couples who live readiness. And so that event, as terrible as it was, became a powerful image to talk about those things. If you've not been immersed into Christ, if we're not communicating with Him through the Word, 
We do not have the personal relationship that we need and that He desires. But you can start tonight.